welcome to Tales of Panam Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. It is the first episode of the month. It's not the first week of the month, but... Um, which means this week's episode is a character study episode, and this one is going to be about Lucy Gray Baird. As usual, I'm going to start off with my little spiel about who this person is. Lucy Gray Baird is a member of a traveling music group called the Covey before she is reaped for the 10th Hunger Games. She is mentored by Coriolanus Snow and ends up winning the games and returning to District 12. She eventually decides to run away as she believes the mayor of 12 wants her dead. Coriolanus agrees to come with her but then turns on her and she is lost in the woods never to be seen again. And my opening quote is actually song lyrics um, from the song she sings at the reaping um, because I think it's just such a great introduction to her character like literally in the book and also like for this episode um and the specific quote I chose is you can't take my sass you can't take my talking you can kiss my ass and then keep on walking nothing you can take from me was ever worth keeping and I love that she sings this song at the reaping especially like when we learn later the context of like why her name was called and like what her history is with like Billy Top and Mayfair Lip and the mayor and, and everyone else. Um, and so I love that she sings this song about how like, you know, they literally can, can kill her, can send her off to the games to die, can like literally put her in a cage and like s- send her off to the Capitol. But like the things that make her her are her personality and her talent and her intelligence and her like innate goodness and those are things that cannot be stripped away from her no matter what the capital does and I love that she sings this song at this moment when she is really being like like literally this is this is like her lowest moment like she's literally being reaped for the Hunger Games and the mayor has just like physically assaulted her on stage um and also being that it's like our first introduction to her as a character and she gets to have this moment like entirely because obviously a lot of her story becomes like inherently linked with Coriolanus Snow's story especially given that this book is being told like through his eyes like I've said you know it's it's third person yes but it is like we are getting it from his side of the story which obviously does not always paint her in the best light one because of how he feels about just like district people in general and also how he feels about like people in general and he also like hates music and at the end he hates her and whatever um so to get this moment of introduction for her that is like entirely independent of him that he has no control over whatsoever is great and really establishes that like she is not a person who can be controlled by anyone and I think that is huge in a story about the capital who like wants to control everyone and this story is also about how Coriolanus wants to control everything which is ultimately his downfall in terms of like being a good person um but yeah she is ultimately going to be something he cannot control even up until the very end he doesn't really know what happened to her and that is always going to like haunt him in a way especially 64 years down the line when Katniss Everdeen comes along reminds him of her clearly is literally singing her songs and Coriolanus is like oh no (laughs) it's bad for me but anyway I want to talk about some of the just like basic traits of Lucy Gray's character um first of all again this is a book about like 
the base nature of humans and like is human nature inherently good or evil or neither or sometimes both and we have you know someone like Dr. Gall who believes through and through that like the base nature of humans is to be evil and if you give them the opportunity to do so they will become violent they will become killers and that's what she's trying to prove to Coriolanus throughout the whole novel and that's what the Hunger Games are all about to her is like put these people in this arena they will become killers but I think that's a misunderstanding of good and evil because when you're in the arena, it is literally kill or be killed. Like it is any, like it is inherently self-defense because like for, for you to survive, everyone else must die. And that is what like Katniss Everdeen comes to realize is she doesn't really want to kill people, but like she literally has to if she wants to live. And that is like the choice that has to be made. Whereas someone like Peter Malark stands more firmly and like, I still really don't want to kill anyone. But even he is like, I think I would if it came down to it, but I'm not going to like hunt people down. And so to assume that anyone like that is a bad person because they might have killed someone in the Hunger Games is like, I think a fundamental misunderstanding of like humans themselves and the situation itself. But like for someone like Dr. Gall, she believes firmly in like good and evil, violence and peace being like opposite ends of the spectrum and there not being such a gray area there. Whereas Lucy Gray Barrett falls firmly on the other side of that, which is basically that she believes there is a goodness to all human beings. And everyone has a choice in whether they hang on to that or whether they cross the line into what would be considered evil um which is a really good character trait to give her someone who is in a romantic relationship with Coriolanus Snow the antagonist of the entire series and one of the worst people literally ever um because she it is not easy to see good in him okay like I am reading this novel it is not and it's not just because I know what he becomes, like, even just in his personality, in the way that he interacts with other people. Like, there is not a lot, if any, goodness there. But she can see it, and she doesn't even have to work that hard to see it, because that is truly just how she views the world, and she wants to see the best in people. And that is something that many people would consider naive, but I actually think is admirable. And I don't think that she is naive for wanting to believe in goodness, um, especially in a world that has been so terrible to her. I think it's actually extremely admirable that she stays that way. It's the same way I feel about Peter Malark's like commitment to being a kind and generous person, despite all the horrible things that have happened to him. And I see people call him naive too. And I'm like, he's literally not like that has never been a part of his character. But the thing I think is interesting with Lucy Gray is that Snow wants to believe she is naive and therefore wants, like, the reader to believe she is naive. Because we're getting this through his mind. Like, all of the thoughts that we are getting are his. And so it's it's a very interesting experience of reading this book because, like, as a reader, you want to acknowledge Lucy Gray's intelligence and her goodness and, like, her capabilities and, and just, like, how strong of a person she is and how smart and you kind of have to like fight against the text to do that. Not because it isn't there, not because it isn't clear that she is a very intelligent person, but because we have Snow literally on the page being like wanting you to think the opposite, especially at the end. He wants people to think she's she's crazy and she didn't know what she was doing and she's insane, you know? 
and we know these things are not true as a reader but like it's such an interesting experience of reading when like you know something to be true but the book is literally trying to tell you something different but you know you're not supposed to listen because it's Coriolana Snow saying it and it's like clearly he is wrong about her you know like we know what kind of person she is um and I think that that is like a testament to the actual quality of the writing that like not not every writer on earth could have pulled this off you know like I think that it is that there is a, a scenario in which Lucy Gray does come across as naive and crazy because you have to balance like her actual actions with what you're writing from Snow's perspective and of course Suzanne Collins is able to absolutely nail that. But I also think one of the fun things about Lucy Gray is that she's such a mystery to the very end. Like we we learn little tidbits of information about like her past and where she comes from and her family and like who she really is but like it is largely kept a mystery and then the way that her story ends also being a mystery is is in a really incredible arc for her um in a way that does not feel unsatisfying in the way that sometimes like a character's fate being left up to like audience or like reader discretion or like theorization can sometimes just feel like an unsatisfying ending i think her ending feels very satisfying um even though it is impossible to know what truly happened to her. That being said, um, I did say that this week I was going to talk about what I think happened to her, and I will be doing that. Um, so here's, here's my theory. I'm just going to put it out there. I think that she died. I think she drowned in the lake. And now I'm going to give my actual reasoning for that. I promise I didn't just make this up. I have, like, actual textual evidence. First of all, there's her ballad. So the the Covey are basically named for um, a color and a ballad. So like, that didn't make sense the way I say it, but there's like, you know, like Maud Ivory and like Barbazur and Lucy Gray Baird, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so, but Lucy Gray gets like the name, the color is part of the name of the ballad. Anyway, but, but point being, she's named after this ballad called The Ballad of Lucy Gray. I did a horrible job of explaining that, but it's in the book, so like, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and I'm talking to myself in circles, but so there's this ballad called The Ballad of Lucy Gray, and it's basically like, if you, if you read the lyrics in the book, it's basically about this girl who like, it's like, take a lantern child to light your mother through the snow. Um, and then she, like, basically disappears. And then it's like, yeah, many a hill did Lucy climb, but, climb, but never reached the town. And her parents search for her. And then they find, um, it says, a bridge of wood that spanned a deep ravine. And it says, like, in heaven we all shall meet. Um, and then the last verse being, um, the last few, yet some maintain that to this day she is a living child, that you may see, see sweet Lucy Gray upon the lonesome wild. Over rough and smooth, she trips along and never looks behind and sings a solitary song that whistles in the wind. Um, and so basically implying that like she died, but like her spirit kind of lives on in the woods and also like singing the solitary song that whistles in the wind, very clearly foreshadowing what is actually going to happen to her. But the song, you know, does, does leave it a mystery. Um, but I also would like to direct our attention to another song she sings in this book 
which is a song Clementine, which is a song that I feel many of us may be familiar with. And this is a song about a girl who drowns. Um, yeah, if you read, um, so I, I was reading up a bit on the song because I'm crazy, but it's basically, uh, they all center around this girl, Clementine, who as its song is, as it says in the song, um, is the daughter of a miner, which like, you know, we're from district 12. This is a mining district. So there's a good connection there. Um, and a lover. Um, and basically it's about Clementine, the focus of the song, falling into some body of water and drowning because her lover will not jump in and rescue her. Um, yeah. Let's think about that one. So, and then, so yeah, there's like, there's that, that she sings that song, which would be like a weird coincidence. Um, and it, again, like everything Suzanne writes is very intentional. It feels very connected, especially being that this is like an existing song, like that was not written for this novel. Like it is a real song, um, that has a real story behind it. And so choosing this song to adapt for this book is very is a choice and a very intentional one at that especially the whole part about like her lover like declining to save her you know feels very lucy gray and Coriolanus snow but then there's also the fact that like she you know Coriolan is like shooting at her whatever and she like her song is kind of bouncing around but it's because the mocking jays have like picked it up you know and it's like disorienting him and he's also already very disoriented because he got bit by this snake that he's convinced was venomous even though we know it was not so he's like hallucinating um and after all of this happens he dumps the weapons in the lake so that no one will find them and there's something like disturbingly poetic about like the only things that could tie him back to Mayfair's murder are those weapons and Lucy Gray herself because like Sejanus is dead. Spruce is dead. Billy Top is dead. Like it is just him and her and those weapons. And so something about her ending up in the same place, ending up dead in the same place that he leaves the weapons. And like we know, we assume safely that those weapons are never like pulled up and and found by anyone, because like as far as we know, nothing ever comes of that. And so it means that. And, like, who's going to be, like, sweeping that lake looking for bodies when they have no reason to do that? So, yeah, the idea of her, like, drowning in the water and sinking to the bottom and her body basically being, like, lost down there. Um, which, like, I don't really know that much about science. But, like, so, I don't know. You might be able to poke holes in this. Maybe dead bodies float. I don't really know. Um, to be quite honest, if the science here would work out. But also, I'm not really that concerned about it. Because also, like, you know, her body builds the bottom, gets stuck on something, or the guns are, like, on top of her. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think it's that serious in terms of, like, oh, when she floated to the surface. Like, I don't really care. This is a work of fiction. Um, but yeah, so that's what I think happened to her. Also, just, like, the idea, because, like, you know, we can know, like, Katniss and her father would come to this lake, and this is, like, where she learned to like swim and stuff like that and it's gross because like to think about like if she learned to swim in the place where the remains of Lucy Gray Baird were like hidden um 
but like also kind of makes a weird narrative sense if you think about it. I don't know. There's just a lot of little things. There are a lot of other theories about what happened to her. I have like, because she is one of the people who's like, maybe there are people living up in the north. So it's possible she she made her way to District 13 or something um, where we know people were there. Um, but that also seems unlikely. I've seen theories that she's Alma Coin, and I'm like, girl, be for real. Like, that doesn't make any sense. The ages don't line up. And also, like, Alma Coin is a horrible person and Lucy Gray Baird is a good one. And like, how, why would she ever become that? I hate that theory. It doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, there are theories that she is Katniss Everdeen's grandmother. Um, I also don't believe in that because that would have required her to return to District 12, which I don't think she would ever do because it is too dangerous for her, even if she was alive. And also, I think it more, makes more sense for Maud Ivory to be Katniss's grandmother anyway. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, obviously, maybe she just was like lost to the wilderness guess we'll never know but this is my theory it is very dark I know um but this is a very dark series so I think it it tracks and it makes sense when you put together like the lyrics specifically of those two songs just like giving that like this is a ballad about her you know or like this is the ballad for which she has gotten her name and it does line up very closely with what happens to her ex including the like mystery of whether she lives or dies but it's very clear it is is still left up for interpretation of the song but it is seems clear that the girl in the song is like a ghost basically um at the end but yeah I don't know if anyone has other theories send them my way I love a good Lucy Gray Baird theory um except for the one about her being Alma Coyne I'm sorry I just hate that one even aside from all the like that's slanderous to say that Lucy Gray Baird could become that the age does not work out at all. Like, she would be, like, old, old by that time. And Alma Coyne is not that old. Like, she would literally be still two years younger than Coraline Snow at that time. And she's very much not. <laughs> oh, it literally says in the book how old she is. And we can see in the movie that she's not that old. So, anyway. Um, but, yeah, I think she's dead, unfortunately. Wish she wasn't. I truly wish she wasn't. I wish I could believe in something else. But I, unfortunately, have to go with the evidence. And it is overwhelming. <laughs> um, now I want to talk about another song that Lucy Gray Baird wrote, which is The Hanging Tree, a song we are obviously very familiar with because it is sung by Katniss Everdeen and Mockingjay. Um, but this song is basically written about Arlo Chance's hanging. And it's basically, you know, it's inspired by this event that very clearly, like, reflects the lyrics of the song even before knowing that that's what it's about but it is also written from the perspective partially of Lucy Graybeard's former lover Billy Top um who we know from this book and so yeah we have the like they strung off a man they say who murdered three um which like Arlo they said that he killed three people trying like with an explosion um and so it's basically about like her like Billy Top sort of calling out to her to meet the hanging tree because he'd rather they both be dead than like her reject him um which is terrible obviously um and also it all kind of comes around in that scene which this line makes me feel crazy especially with the context of this song where um after after Coriolanus shoots Mayfair Lip and Billy Top is like freaking out um 
and Coriolanus tells Lucy Gray to like run away so she's not like involved in any way and Billy Top basically says if I swing she's swinging with me basically saying that like if he's going to be executed for this so is she um which does tie in really well to what the song is saying he's like um and yeah the whole like dead man called out for his love to flee and so it's like it's referencing the hanging tree as a location and it's referencing this event that happened there Arlo Chance is hanging where he calls out to Lil and like the dead man calls out because like the Jabberjays repeat his words and then you know as we know them to do um and so it's saying like that could have been you know Lucy Gray and Billy Top and like the wear necklace of rope side by side with me um and even though where I told you to run so we'd both be free like it's really dark when you know it's meant to be from the perspective of a former lover basically asking her to die with him rather than leave him um but yeah she sings it to Coriolanus to tell him like where to meet up with her so they can run away but it's very interesting because some of the lines in the song aside from the like met up at midnight at the hanging tree or in the hanging tree as it is in the song but they use it to meet up at the hanging tree like the a man they say murdered three when Coriolanus like killed three people in this book and that's like a whole thing um because he killed you know Bobbin in the arena and then Mayfair and then obviously Sejanus and like he says to Lucy Gray he's like killing three people was enough and then he has to kind of like backpedal on that because she's not supposed to know about Sejanus plans and that ends up becoming an issue just stuff like that it just really ties in everything that is happening and it's also like very deeply personal to him like all of her songs are personal to him because of who she was to him but like this one in particular and so just imagining him hearing that 60 years later sung by Katniss Everdeen and being like oh my god and this is also adds to the evidence of like Maud Ivory being Katniss's grandmother because like we know Maud Ivory would remember the song even just after a single time playing it so we know she'd remember this song and want to pass it down and Katniss's father would like sing the song to her and Prim and they would like learn it and then her mother like yelled at them because it was like this is not the kind of song our children should be singing but also like to keep it quiet because it is definitely on the rebellious side like it's not like they sing it at um commander hoff's birthday party and they're like maybe you shouldn't sing this one in public anymore it's kind of a lot um and so it would likely be kept just within the covey and then by extension just within the everdeen family um so just things just i'm just thinking i'm simply just thinking um but yeah anyway that all just adds to the theory but yeah this song being written in this book is just genius and like the lyrics are so the lyrics were already very haunting because like I mean we're all familiar but like the added the added weight they already take on knowing like the events of Arlo Chance's hanging but even more so when you know it's not from his perspective it's from the perspective of Lucy Gray Baird's ex-lover asking her to die with him and then he like basically says exactly that um yeah it's so good just this song is literally the lyrics are incredible um and then let's see what else we need to talk about I did do need to talk briefly about like Lucy Gray's you know romantic relationship with Snow um because like and this will be my closing quotes so I'm not really gonna go into it but the whole thing about like trust and love being very different and being 
like trust being more important to her when we unfortunately know that she should not be trusting Coriolanus Snow but she actually does um because again this goes back to like her seeing this goodness in him that like most other people would not be able to see but like she really does want to trust him but we see that trust like faltering and breaking down as we get to the end of this book and like you know obviously it all comes together in this like really big way where like he's chasing her through the woods with a gun um obviously she does not trust him then but like even as they're starting to leave town like she can see his hesitations and she you know she has reasons to distrust him like things that were definitely red flags at the time but could kind of be overlooked in the name of like love and and in the name of trying to believe in in good and everything like that but now combined with the weird way he's acting and talking about like how he killed three people she's like mm. and then you know he comes out of the cabin with a gun and it's kind of over at that point um but he's basically like it's interesting because knows like lucy Gray, like lucy gray is like wants to think badly of me for killing people as if she didn't kill people in the arena and like was so malicious about it and i'm like it's not like first of all Wovi, she admitted was like an accident like she had poisoned the puddle um not specifically knowing that Wovi was gonna drink from it but she did um and then she says reaper was basically like a like mercy kill because she knew that he had contracted rabies and also at that point he was the last one left so again it's like he had to die for her to live as horrible as that is because the hunger games is horrible um but also, yeah, I, I do truly believe that she did not want him to, what happened to Jessup to happen to him. Um, and then Treach was the only one that there was, like, real, like, malicious, not even malicious, like, intent to kill. Because it's not really malicious because, again, like, he was attacking her. And so, yes, she already had the snake there ready to attack him with, but, like, she was not going out of her way to use that on people. He was, like, actively attacking her. Um, and then she pulled. And so for him to be like, oh, she killed so, like, violently in the arena. And it's like, one, she was literally just trying to survive, which is exactly what you wanted, too. So, like, now you're mad about it. But also, like, she wasn't being malicious about it at all. And, like, you, yes, it was, like, her that technically, like, brought the poison to the arena. But it was your idea. You gave her the idea as a strategy. So, and then the fact that she used it and now you're trying to, like, hold that against her as if you haven't also killed three people and, like, okay, you can say Bobbin was self-defense, whatever. Like, when they were in the arena, he was attacking Coriolanus. Mayfair Lip, you could try to play the self-defense argument because she was, like, gonna go tell everyone what they were doing, but, like, no, you can't, though, because, like, she was just going to run away and then he just, like, pulled out a gun and shot her. Um... And it was, like, just to protect, like, his reputation and his future, basically. So it was entirely selfish and, like, yeah, not, not like, self-defense in the way that, like, he was actually in immediate danger or anything like that. So that one's, like, and he also feels no guilt about that. And I'm, like, you're weird. Um, Especially because she was also, like, a young girl, you know. It was not like she was, like, like, you know, the same age as, like, Lucy Gray and Billy Top, whatever. And then Sejanus is an entirely different situation but but anyway like in terms of lucy gray like i i don't know 
she's yeah she's very much like Katniss and Peeta even more so Peeta I think where she's like I really don't want to have to kill anyone but like I will if that's really what it comes down to but I'm not going to let myself be turned into a monster in that arena um whereas Katniss you know it was always a little different because she had Prim to think about so she kind of had to be a little more aggressive about it but like Peeta is is he literally says like I think I would kill someone you know if it really really came down to it but like I don't think I would go out of my way to kill anyone and Lucy Gray kind of falls in between that where like she does kill people but again it's more like self-defense or just like pure strategy she's not like going out and like physically attacking people at every opportunity and she also has her her alliance with Jessup which I think is a really great part of this book because she it really like even though she's not technically doesn't really feel like District 12 she's still like you know we came here from the same place and I feel like we're better off together than we are alone and like I want him on my team and just like the whole circumstances of his death with like the rabies is really like upsetting and, and disturbing but also like the way that she really does try to stick with him despite the fact that he is like literally can no longer control his own thoughts and actions because he has rabies um but she truly does try to stick with him and just like the way she truly believes in the power of music which like one of the things in this book is Coriolanus always being like I hate music it's so dumb blah, blah, blah. and I'm like you hate music like okay loser um but she like loves it and it is how she expresses herself but she also understands its power and she is able to use it in a really like admirable way I guess where like she knows the power that words can have and she is going to use them to protect herself and to protect those she cares about because she cares so fiercely about the rest of the covey like they are literally her family and like she would do anything for them um and she really does like she really would go to such lengths to protect them and and like literally do anything for them um which is how like even before you know what actually happened with billy top like you know it was bad because like for Lucy Gray to cast someone out like they must have really messed up um because she really does care about people so deeply and that is what Coriolanus like he never understands her and he never really makes the actual effort to like he listens to her when she talks sometimes um and he's like oh yeah I want to get to know you better but like he when he says that he mostly just means like I want to know things about your life and he doesn't actually want to know who she is on a deeper level as a person. And that is what ends up being like, I mean, obviously many things end up being the downfall of their relationship, like him literally shooting at her. Um, but like also on a deeper level, like that is what really causes the trust to begin crumbling before that final event, because like he doesn't get her and she is actually a really remarkable person, but he never actually saw it. Whereas the other people in her life, like the Covey, really did see and appreciate how remarkable she was and how intelligent she was and how talented she was. She's extremely talented. Like you read the lyrics to these songs and I was just talking about like how the lyrics to The Hanging Tree are so good. And like in universe, Lucy Gray Baird wrote those and like wrote these haunting songs, these melodies. And like that is probably the thing I'm most excited for in this movie is to hear all these songs being sung like as songs and and just see all these scenes where the Covey is like performing because I also talked about like how the whole idea for the Covey is really incredible to me of having this basically like traveling music group that provides music to the poor and hungry people and their whole thing being like we would love if you could give us whatever like money or food you have 
available to spare, but like we're not going to charge for our performances because sometimes the people that are suffering the worst need music the most and it can uplift them in ways that few other things might be able to. And she again recognizes that power that music has that is so unique um and uses it to help people and so the fact that like 60 years down the line her music is being used to inspire a revolution against snow yes but like against the capital and against in a more general sense tyranny and oppression you know is exactly what she wanted and that is one of the reasons why I really wish I didn't believe that she was dead and that I believe that she somehow made it to District 13 and like survived till um Mockingjay because I would love for her to have been able to see that and to see the impact that her music was having years and years and years later but unfortunately I cannot believe that that is the case but I like to think in some way she knows um And yeah, I wish Katniss could know more about her too, you know, because I think she would really love her and her story and find it like really deeply inspiring, especially because Katniss, we know music is so important to her. Like music literally saves her life in, in Mockingjay. Like she starts singing when she's basically awaiting like her trial and whatever. And that's when she's like literally at her lowest point, but like she finds her voice again through song. And that is how she like connected to her father. And that is why it became more difficult for her. And, you know, like, her relationship with Rue had had a lot to do with, like, the Mockingjays and the song and stuff like that. And she, like, sings to her. And just, like, art in general plays a huge part in the series. Like, we've talked about, like, clothing being used um, as, like, a tool in this rebellion and, and stuff like that. But, like, music in particular, having being such a strong connection between the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes and the rest of the series, like, music really being the direct line that exists between these this book and the rest of the series um and that all starting with Lucy Gray because she could write lyrics like nobody else could um and it proves like how timeless her music becomes and also just like and this will again be proven more like stylistically when we see the actual song or we hear the actual songs in the movie but it also goes to this like this really interesting trend of like historical trends repeating themselves and I talked about it in like the architecture and the clothing um that we saw in the trailer for the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes being like because this is all you know futuristic but also like being callbacks to like earlier periods in U.S. history because this is obviously takes place like in the future United States as it has like been broken down um but it's like so it's like historic to the 74th games but it's futuristic to us but it also feels historic because of the fashion and the architecture that they are choosing I think that's really going to come through in the music too of like it is going to be you know more like traditional folk music because those are the kind of things that would come back after a period of great destruction and and climate disaster and wars and everything that else has else that has transpired between like now and when this series is taking place especially you know we have songs like clementine being in there and yeah i just think that like the music is going to really be emblematic of that and i yeah so the fact that it like remains relevant to 60 years later when katniss comes around um tells you a lot about like how timeless the songs she's creating are and how the covey had a commitment to like keeping her music alive maude ivory in particular which again goes back to like 
all my theories, but like the Covey really would have wanted to keep her legacy alive, even if they knew there was no way she was going to come back. Even not knowing what happened to her, like they're smart. They know her very well. They know her history. And so, you know, just like how, and like music is the perfect way to keep her legacy alive because that is how she like made her impact on the people around her, but also like the country as a whole. Like she sings in her interview for the game. She sings at the reaping. Like that is how she connects with people is through her lyrics in particular and through like the power of the song she's writing and singing is how she like makes an impact on people. Anyway, time for the closing quote. Um, this is the quote I was talking about, about trust, because I think that the way Lucy Gray feels about trust is really important in this book, and trust obviously being a big part of this book, or lack of trust in many situations. So yeah, this is her quote about trust, where she says, I think it's more important than love. I mean, I love all kinds of things I don't trust. Thunderstorms, white liquor, snakes. Sometimes I think I love them because I can't trust them, and how mixed up is that? It's just like she, you know, there is a, a thrill and a fun in things that are a mystery or things that are outside of our control. And she really appreciates that. Like the thunderstorms, the snakes, you know, things that she can never truly control and loving those things because of that. Whereas Coriolanus Snow is the exact opposite where he's like, if I can't control something, I hate it. And Lucy Gray ends up being the person he can't control and he hates her for it. Whereas she loves like the sort of unknown in not being able to control everything. And sort of the like randomness and chaos of life. And that is like one of the biggest fundamental differences between the two of them. And ends up being like helping to create this sort of rift that forms in between them as the story goes on. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. As a reminder, I am bi-weekly until November. So the next episode will be out in two weeks. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanam at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week.